Hey everyone, welcome. Welcome to today's live stream. I'm uh, Zach Scriven, your host, and uh, I'm with 4.0 Solutions. We go live here every week at Tuesday noon central. Um, we're here to answer your questions. We're doing this five-part mini-series about use cases for unified namespace. So today we're going to be talking about a use case that I worked on in the CNC industry, um, manufacturing of large, large, really large products that take really long time to manufacture. We're talking weeks. And you know, how do you use OEE? Yeah, how do you even apply OEE to something like that where the cycle times are weeks and not seconds or minutes? Hey, Harry. Hey, David. Hey, Alan. Welcome. Welcome. So yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, let me let me share this out on uh, on the Discord real quick, just so that way. Uh, oh, don't want to end the stream. <laughs> that would be bad. So Walker is traveling this week, so he's not going to be here. Um, but um, yeah, we're going to be continuing the series. So. Uh, but we also have some additional questions. As always, feel free to ask your questions live. Uh, always get great engagement when we do that. So, and um, yeah, feel free to uh, subscribe to this uh, audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, we're on um, Amazon Music and uh, Audible now. So if you have those apps, you can listen to our podcast pretty much everywhere. 4.0 Solutions Podcast. So um, thank you. Yeah, let's get into it. I'm gonna go ahead and turn this uh, background music off. Um, yeah, we get some people like it, some people don't. So I'll just go ahead and turn it off. Um, so yeah, uh, I do want to give a shout out to uh, today's sponsor, which is our Digital Factory Mastermind. We've been doing the 12 week accelerator program. We're on week 10 right now, so there's literally like two more weeks. So um, you know the the group is going through supply chain part two, which was the last you know. The, the homework for last week. So uh, we've gotten some really good feedback from that. Also, as we're going through this product and all the first 12 modules of our mastermind program, we're, we're going back through and editing it. Uh, we're finding a lot of like golden nuggets and, and extracting those out and just organizing the content better um, and uh, just condensing it to make the training is uh, even more valuable. Uh, we're also talking about uh, rolling out our enterprise training program to, to more uh, companies. So uh, we've been doing our enterprise training pilot, which is basically all of the training across IoT University from mentorship, mastermind, packaged, you know, polished and packaged into a really, uh, really great product that we're really proud of. We're talking about potentially getting some translations done for that, like into other languages like Spanish, German, potentially even Chinese. So I know Cheryl's going to kill me because she's like, she's probably like saying like, Zach, we can't, we don't have the resources to do that. We're trying to get you know, the English version in order first before we roll it out to multi-languages. But it is a it is actually a request that is coming from our customers. So, you know, if one enterprise customer wants, you know, multi-language enterprise industry 4.0 training, then other enterprises are likely going to want that too. And we work with some of the biggest enterprises that you know of. So that's, that's something that we are working on right now is refining the uh, enterprise training product and also rolling it out to potentially multiple languages. So uh, to be announced on that. We're also working with additional sponsors that are not the sponsor of this video, but a new sponsor that we're working with is Clarify. Uh, we may have talked about this before, but Clarify.io, um, new sponsor of the channel. We're sort of changing the way our sponsorships work. So we used to do where we give the opportunity for one brand, one company to sponsor like an entire month's worth of content. And we changed that to really allow more, uh, really 
companies that want to sponsor a video to like really get more creative control over the outcome of that video. Like a lot of companies are wanting to create videos about their products. So we are offering that now. It's just like a standalone sponsored video. Hey, I want you to create a 4.0 solutions to create a video about my product. Um, you know, obviously we still have our own opinions and we're going to give the honest truth about your product or software or whatever it is that the sponsor wants to feature. So we're, so we're just doing that as like a standalone option, which actually a couple of companies have already taken us up on that option. So we'll be announcing those as they, you know, as they drop. But, um, so you'll know if you see a sponsored video that, Hey, this content is sponsored by so-and-so yeah, but companies like clarify, we're doing a more, uh, ongoing, uh, sponsorship partnership where we're sort of like doing more. So they're going to have a special link and I don't have the link on me right now. So um, but when we do have the link, we're going to send it out to you guys. When you sign up to clarify, like you'll get a free, free additional signals. Like clarify is like a time series data tool that lives in the cloud that you can do data analysis, like built in. So think of it like, Hey, I want to source time series data and I just want to send it somewhere. They're going to manage all of the, the, the storage location retrieval, but, and give me like visualizations like trends and dashboards, but in a multi-user and social kind of way where you can like tag trends and tag other people and comment and provide context around your time series data. So it's a tool we've been looking at. We've been really excited about it. They are sort of an ongoing partner or sponsor. And when I do get the link, so you guys get a free bonus, like, Hey, you know, when you sign up from 4.0 solutions, you guys get a free bonus. Um, and then we also, you, you get to support the channel. We get it, you know, we get, a, um, some, some, uh, commission from that. So, that's kind of what we're doing with Clarify again. And then we're also offering sort of uh, just ad, ad, ad rolls. Hey, this video is sponsored by so-and-so, you know, 30, 60 seconds at the beginning of video. And then, you know, our just our normal content. So that's kind of how sponsorships work now. Well, meeting canceled. So I'm here now. Hey, Mario. Uh, yeah, see, Michael Daldell, he said he would do the Spanish trans, uh, translation for you. We're working. Yeah, that's what one of the things we want to do is we're going to hire... Um, a service to translate into subtitles, but then we also want to, so we're going to have like su foreign subtitles, but we also are looking at doing like actual dictation narration, like foreign narration over the video. So it's, it's a massive undertaking. Like I, I don't want to understate how much effort it's going to be like more than doing the original videos in the first place, probably because we have to work with many con, you know, for, uh, foreign language contractors and, um, Japanese translation. Thank you, Taichi. But that was one of the things I said. I'm like, Cheryl, there's probably a lot of, that was one of the things is like, how do you trans, it's not just talking about, you know, a, a fiction book. Like this is technical language. So the translation really needs to be on point. So we need the, we need the translation reviewed by a subject matter expert. And we probably have those in our community. So um, we'll, you know, we'll let you know uh, when, when, if, and when we can receive help from that. And um, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, Hey, Dustin, welcome. So uh, subscriber update. Yeah, so that's that's a little update on sponsors. Again, Digital Factory Mastermind. Couldn't do this without you guys. Um, so thank you guys for going through the Accelerator program and just supporting the content that we create. We're always looking at creating our you know our products for you guys to make it better and help support what we do here at 4.0 Solutions to drive the industry forward. Um, yeah, subs subscriber update. We're at 17,350. So... Thank you. Awesome. Uh, we're over 3,600 members in Discord server. Um, and we talked about the sponsors, enterprise training. 
Yeah, Clarify. Like, just go check out Clarify. You you don't have to create an account yet. I'm not gonna say if you if you want to go create an account and not use our code to sign up, that's fine too. Like, we're it's not just about the transaction. We're actually trying to like take Clarify to that next level uh, with more of an ongoing partnership. Like I was saying, so check out Clarify.io. Thank you for sponsoring Clarify, uh, and thank you everyone in our mastermind. Um, so. I want to give a shout out uh, to some of the new members. So, um, starting this this last, just in the last seven days, we had a you know a lot of people sign up for our, our program. So, Michael Wesley joined the Industry 4.0 Mentorship Program. Welcome, my, Michael. Uh, Al Cattell joined Digital Factory Mastermind Program. Uh, welcome, Al. Tom T joined the Industry 4.0 Mentorship Program. Welcome, Tom. Uh, Paul Parks joined Digital Factory Mastermind Program. Welcome, Paul. Uh, Steve Glore has joined the Digital Factory Mastermind Program. Welcome, Steve. Uh, Trevor Pratt has joined the Mentorship Program. Welcome, Trevor. And Anthony George has joined the Industry 4.0 Mentorship Program. Welcome, Anthony. Um, welcome to all the new members. Um, you know, it's excited to have you guys all be part of the program again and support what we're doing here and hopefully get a lot of value, like 10 times the value of what you, the investment is for, for our training. You, we hope to give that back in, in uh, value to, to our members. Um, also new members that joined the discord server and introduced themselves. I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, there's only a handful this week, but that's one of the new segments we were thinking about introducing to this weekly live Q and a is like, Hey, welcome to the new members who recently joined discord and introduced themselves. Let's give them a quick shout out on our live Q and a, and hopefully encourage more people to sign up and, and, and introduce themselves into the Discord server. So uh, Silver Faye said, uh, looks like a lot of people here introduce themselves, so I guess I will as well. My initials are AMA, and I am an inventor of sorts, a gamer, an artist, a philosopher, a bad speller, <laughs> and avid shoe wearer, among other things. Well, so welcome, Silver. Uh, great to have you here. I'd be interested to know how you found our, how are you, you found uh, our Discord community, Silver. Um, Al Cattell. Hey, everyone. I'm originally from New Zealand and now based in London, UK. Have spent my career in web and app development for companies like Rolls-Royce, Mars, UK government, and currently working with a global manufacturer connecting machines via MQTT and rebuilding their MES. Love the opportunities in this space. Excited to discover this community. Welcome. Welcome, Al. Um, Moxman. Hey, everyone. I've been working in building automation for about 10 years. Currently, I'm an international BAS lead uh, working on projects around the world. I work mostly in, uh, with the Schneider, uh, Schneider product line and Niagara. Niag Niagara? Is that a product line or like Niagara bottling? Anyways, welcome, Moxman. Uh, and Drew Depriest. Hey, y'all. Drew here from the Midwest, US. Nearly 20 years in the smart building space. Started as a BAS field tech, climbing ladders and building systems in... Uh, Tritium R2 and Honeywell Excel 10s before our outfit was bought by ALC. Floated around the startup world, enterprise IT, and now I'm at CBRE, supporting facilities, technology, BAS, data analytics, and more for a large tech client. Grateful for the opportunity to learn from you all here. Welcome, Drew. And last but not least, Jordan Day. Um, hey, everyone. My name is Jordan and I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I work as an HVAC technician for a very large school district. Hence my interest in building automation and automation in general. It's exciting to have a lot of uh, folks from the building automation space. 
um, you know, it's, it's, we were talking about, you know, how is the unified namespace applied to other industries outside of, um, manufacturing, like, I don't know, health, healthcare, or obviously building automation. That one, that one is really, you know, um, a critical one, obviously. Um, but yeah, like human, human analytics or just like software companies, obviously heavily leveraging MQTT and unified namespace architectures, but like what other industries could leverage this, you know? What industries are you guys in? Um, I'd be curious to know, type it in the comments. All right, so that's all the welcome of the new members. Um, so we got a lot of questions. So a lot of the discussion this week was revolving around OEE. Um, a lot of questions came in. One, one actually was from last week, where it's like, "Hey Zach, or you know, Hey Walker, you know, how do you how do you define how do you do OEE between um, like a discrete process versus a continuous process or maybe a batch process? What are the differences?" Um, so we're going to talk about that. Um, what else? couple we had a couple comments come in so and then we, i want to talk about this oee uh pilot that i did where you know like i was saying at the beginning of this live stream where it's uh an oe pilot where you know really long long cycle times you know they had no insight into their production process hey you know where are we into this three-week job are we 25 percent through are we 75 percent through is the machine even running <laughs> you know so are, are we are we operating efficiently so uh, we'll talk about that, how we use unified namespace there. So, um, and then Walker should be back next week to to finish out weeks four and weeks five of our five week uh, UNS um, use case series. Any questions in the chat before I before I continue on? Yes, you will need an SME for the translation, Michael. Yep, thank you. Thomas said. Just watching a nice sunset through my window, listening to today's session. Awesome. Welcome, Tomas. All right. So, Mohammed Safwats had left a new comment on the IIoT mini course. Thank you, Walker. What is the difference between digital thread and UNS? I see a big overlap. And what also differentiates UNS from master data management, which is used in many big telecom enterprises and, it, and is it somewhat similar but this time for i4.0 that's a great question mohammed uh so we get this a question a lot probably mostly from like it folks um you know there's actually we we talked to scott taylor who's really like a master data uh mdm master data model influencer right that's all he talked about master data and master data is essentially all of the things and stuff within your organization. And when we talk about master data, we're, we often, it's living within the ERP, within, you know, within the ERP layer of our, you know, manufacturing workflow. So we say, Hey, you know, we need to bring in this inner uh, ERP data. So what differentiates that master data model, right? Or your ERP master data model, um, you know, which is the, the stuff that's in your business, all the products you make, all the employees, um, you know, all your customers, all your contacts at your customers, kind of like CRM could also be in that ERP layer. Um, so that's the master data model. The master data model, you know, it, it'll often like be accessible through a database, but 
we want to make it accessible through the unified namespace so other consumers of that information and not just the master data model, but real-time data and other data that lives in the namespace, other information that was transformed from data lives in the namespace. You're going to want to view your master data model right alongside that data. So, so the unified namespace is think of it like an API that you could access your master data model through. You know, yeah, so you can probably access it through like maybe a API that you're your ERP gives you, or, or you could access it probably through, you know, rest services or something like that, but, um, or, you know, business connector or B2 XML, you know, but at the, or, you know, the easiest way would probably be SQL. Hey, let me just query this database table that's open. You know, you could use a tool like HiByte to convert, you know, SQL query into namespace data broken out into a list or broken down by topic, or, I mean, there's so many things you can do. The reason why you want to do that is so you can get you can build your unified namespace all your data real-time data master data everything all your events inside of one one place um you know so any consumer can publish and subscribe to that information so that's really what uns is master data management is really just you know your erp data it's really just yeah michael Daldo said sap equals bappy pretty easy highbyte also supports spark plug b yes um Anyways, oh, I was listening to the supply chain uh, mastermind and someone said, or Walker said like, you know, someone asked a question, what about Sparkplug B for supply chain? Is there a, is there a specification or a standard, you know, for supply chain information? And, you know, the answer is still up in the air. So if anyone comes up with that, that's a major opportunity. I mean, would Sparkplug B work or would we need some new you know, specification standardization to, to integrate the supply chain. Right. So that's kind of like what we'll actually be talking about probably on tomorrow's, uh, mastermind accelerator, like check-in call, like the weekly, weekly, uh, coaching call. So that's kind of, that's my answer. Um, yeah, you know, that's our perspective industry 4.0, right. We just call it, we call it industry 4.0, but it's really the fourth industrial revolution. It's the second information revolution. It's the, the one that comes after the digital revolution, right? The first information revolution was printing press. Now we've got, you know, digital information revolution. Um, Michael Dallow said throughout, so take a look at Opta 22, Factory Studio, Tassoff, Maple Systems, Redline, and others. Oh yeah, throughout's asked the question. I haven't found uh, any other references to Sparkplug B other than Ignition where it is used and even some examples assumes you have ignition installed. Are there any other solutions for SME? That's actually a question we haven't gotten in a while. Initially, when we were talking about Sparkplug B, that was like a common, common thing. Like, hey, Sparkplug B is, means you're just going to use ignition. <laughs> and we're like, no, it doesn't. There's so many things, so many applications you could build. You could build a unified namespace using Sparkplug B with a, a 50 different tools that, that without ever touching ignition, without ever selling ignition. I mean, Ignition's really where, you know, SiriusLink really kind of went to market initially first was, and also Ignition was a platform that just adopted the technology so perfectly. So I understand why that, that association exists, but it's, yeah, it's completely false. Um, we've been breaking that, we've been breaking that myth for like, you know, years now, three, four years. So, but anyways, thanks for joining throughouts. Um, yeah, tons of other vendors. I mean, like PLC Next. Opta 22, I mean, the list goes on. Sparkplug B.
if we are a product manufacturing company for layer one, so how can we give IoT solution to our customers through custom uh, soin, soin, join according to customers' needs or by designing a platform and selling it as a SaaS? Both depends. <laughs> um, it depends on your digital strategy. You know, hey, what is your digital strategy? Are you trying to build a SaaS or are you trying to uh, augment your customer's ecosystem, right? You know, what, I think that would be a good question to ask is like, what level of maturity is your customer at? Is your customer already transformed or are you selling to, you know, like rural people, you know, <laughs> like legacy uh, clients? So that would, that would be my, my question. And then, um, you know, how capable are you guys internally at, at supporting, you know, that, that infrastructure? Um, you know, are you, are you wanting to become more of a product company, right? There's like, there's a question on, you know, capital, right? Can you, can you, can you afford to do that? Right. Can you afford the transition from selling, you know, these pieces of equipment to essentially owning them and then just living off the revenue stream, which acquires more capital, you know, investment. It's like, you know, it's like, um, the solar city model, right? They, where they were like owning all the solar panels and, so they needed like millions of dollars just continually pumped into their business because they were like, you know, essentially buying the solar panels and just leasing them to uh, their clients. But yeah, so if you so if you have ask any any providing more context, achieve or you know share in the Discord, you know, be happy to give more context. Um, we are a manufacturing company for layer one. You mean tier one automotive? So how can we give IoT solutions to our customers throughout custom? So in, uh, according to customer needs or by, yeah, I, I would not customize it based on your customer needs. I would figure out what the consensus of your customer needs, you know, what's going to target 80% of all customers needs and then develop that first. Try not to do very much custom, especially if you're trying to transition to a product company. Oh, hold on. My phone's going to die. <laughs> all right, let me plug it in. I'm, I'm uh, live streaming from my hotspot today because my internet here at my, apartment is like down since like last night so oh sewing solution that's the first time i've ever heard that <laughs> all right that's one of those that's one of those acronyms that it like makes things more confusing than it than it helps um so but anyways no that's cool all right thanks uh al or ai or um okay cool show must go on We've pulled some. We've pulled together some good questions from the Discord in previous episodes to talk about for you. Walker is not able to join us, but we all know you are expecting another use case in continuation of the five use case series, and the show must go on. We have over X views on our Q and A podcast each week. That'd be over a thousand, over a thousand views on YouTube and uh, a couple hundred on a, on the actual podcast channels. I'm reading. I'm reading Cheryl's notes that she wrote for me. Thank you, Cheryl. This is really nice. So we answered Mohammed Swafat's question about, oh, what is it? He also asked, what is the difference between digital thread and UNS? Um, I'll link a video. There's a really good video where Walker talks about this is your IIoT strategy and it's going to fail, where he, he just goes deep into digital thread versus UNS. Also, uh, AWS versus Azure IoT video talks about digital threading and UNS. Digital thread, just think proprietary stack, you know, it just edged the cloud connector. Um, where you're not really able to provide context at multiple layers and bring bring that back down and you know I mean if you've watched enough of Walker's videos you could you could just start talking this stuff and that was one of the things someone said in uh, in the last mastermind was like 
just by joining this program, just by joining this group and listening to the recordings and being part of the live sessions every month. And he, you're able to have conversations at a higher level with, you know, potential clients, uh, internal clients, potential people that are looking to hire. So like my favorite thing is when someone gets a job from like what they learned here, um, either like a promotion or from like from a completely different field transitioning into, you know, digital transformation. Um, you know, that's, that's awesome. That's why we, that's why we, uh, we try to simplify it to like make it accessible. Uh, Cheryl said, <laughs> I have to be very careful what I put in those notes. I know I was like reading it. I was like, maybe she put something that's only internal, but <laughs> I would have, I would have, I would have censored that. I'm not, I, 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 I do have Asperger's and I am on the spectrum. So there are cases where I don't have social, social, um, perception. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I just don't pick up on social cues the same way that a neurotypical person would. So like, I might say something that, you know, would be like, why, why would you say that <laughs> make the situation awkward or uncomfortable? But to me, I just don't, I just don't understand what the issue is. So uh, sometimes that does get me in trouble, but oftentimes that's like Walker will say like, that's my strength or, you know, because I can think outside the box, you know, it's like where I live. And also I'm not afraid to do things based on what other people might think about them. You know, Joseph Chandler said, I'm just getting started in this technology. How does one go from ground zero to somewhat competent in this space? <laughs> um, yeah, to start playing around with the technology, um, you know, <clears throat> obviously we design our mentorship program for uh, anyone to go from ground zero to being a technical resource, like a developer for IoT projects. Um, and then, yeah, I guess it, ground zero to somewhat competent question is where, where do you want to go? We're also talking about, Hey, you know, and within mentorship, what if there's someone who doesn't want to be a developer, like a technical developer, but maybe they want to be a user, user experience, uh, UI UX developer, right? They want to take specifications from customer requirements, you know, lead sprint reviews, right? Work with the sprint, the agile development team. So we're like talking about how can we expand mentorship to, target different personas, but, but at a high level, if you want to be a technical resource developer mentorship, if you want to be, you know, digital transformation leader, a liaison CTR, CDO, you know, chief digital officer, you want to be an architect, you want to be a consultant. That's really where mastermind kind of plays into, um, you know, if that's being somewhat competent, um, there is there, you know, there is a difference in investment level, although that it's not as bad. You know, it really just depends on what you want to do. You know, if you if you if you don't know, I would say just take the free IoT mini course, get get your feet wet there, start playing around with like Node Red, watch some other free YouTube videos. You know, you're in the right place. So um yeah, Ignition Maker, Discord, Mastermind, Ignition, University to start. Um yeah. I mean, if you're like Michael Dowdell and you kind of like a lone wolf down there in Mexico, uh, you're kind of just doing your own thing, changing, changing the, changing the automotive industry down there. You could just not join mastermind, but just pay for consulting. Right. Um, that's what Michael does. He just pays, pays, uh, for private consulting, just gets that information just, you know, as efficiently as possible one-on-one. -on -one. So, uh, don't forget data analysts, data analysts. Yeah. That's also why we leverage Codecademy so people can kind of sort of pick their own career path and learn 
do, hey, do I want to learn more of the scripting on Python? Do I want to learn more SQL and, and BI, right? Um, say two, say two knows exactly what he wants to be. Say two wants to be, you know, digital transformation leader, you know, and that's what he is. So he's leading a project, Zen Mastermind. Perfect, perfect example. Reach out to say two, super helpful too. Also getting more into like media and which we love, you know, we love more people talking about, about this and getting the message out. So let's see. Um, got the new members. Um, so, all right. What is, so what is the difference between OEE for discrete manufacturing versus continuous process versus batch process? Really not much. It's the same calculation. The calculation doesn't change, you know, availability, quality, performance. You're still going to have those. Um, just the units really might change. Um, sort of a paradigm shift. You have to kind of change the way you think about it. <laughs> Say too. <laughs> Mastermind changed my life. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, um, so at a high level for batch processes, really quality. So think of batch process like, hey, you know, you're making... Um, let's say you're making a batch of um, like bread or something, you know, you got a big mix of dough, you know, you got to, and you're hoping to get a thousand loaves of yield out of this batch of bread that you're making. Right. But let's say, you know, you spill some materials or something, or it doesn't yield as much as you thought it would. Um, let's say it only yields like 970 loaves of bread you would have a 97% quality, right? So it's actual product yield versus your target yield. So what were you trying to yield? Think of it like kind of like if it was discrete manufacturing, it'd be like total production parts or, you know, good parts divided by total parts, you know, right? Or good parts divided by good parts plus bad parts. So that's kind of the discrete language that you'd use. But for batch, think of it as yield. Hey, or if I'm trying to make, you know, uh, if it was liquid, you know, I'm trying to make a thousand liters of this sugar water, but I only get, you know, 990 liters, right? 99% yield, 99% quality. So that's what you're thinking about for batch processes. Um, availability, same thing, you know, it's, it doesn't really change for batch processes. It's still like um, actual runtime versus like uh, what, what you planned to run. And there's actually a really good uh, a link that I'll, I'll drop in the chat that um you know i pulled pulled some uh some information from before you know while i was preparing for this they actually broke it down even further they broke it down um you know by based on repetitive manufacturing discrete manufacturing job shop manufacturing where you know you're producing small batches of wide range of unique products um, batch manufacturing and then continuous process so there's you know more resources there but um from, you know like i said at high level for batch processes, quality is actual product yield divided by target product yield. For continuous processes, that's where things change. For continuous process, think of cycle time measured in flow, volume over time. So cubic feet per second, right? Like cycle time is measured in flow. So it's a rate, right? If you guys got into calculus, think of it as a rate of change, uh, you know, like volume over time. So it's not really, you could, you, it's not really just volume, it's volume over time. Um, so, and also the other thing I found interesting, and I don't even know, 
how true this is or how I, if I would, if I would do this, but what they also said on this website was like, Hey, you know, for continuous processes and let me know if you guys think this makes sense too, or if you think this is incorrect, but they, you know, they recommended, Hey, for continuous processes, the performance is actual hourly rate divided by average hourly rate over time. So because a continuous process, a continuous process, think of like maybe oil and gas refining, I think would be a continuous process or, um, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you know, you're manufacturing, like, let's say hydrogen or some, you know, some continuous process where you're continually pumping out some flow volume over time of some product. They're saying, uh, the, the way you measure performance is, um, you know, your actual hourly rate divided by what is your average hourly rate over time. And, and I'm thinking like, why is it not just your theoretical average max rate? Like what is the, the what, what should this plant produce? And, and the reason why this resource that I linked in the comments said, said um, that it's, um, you know, your average over time is because you're not really sure what this, you build this process, you build this continuous process and maybe there's raw materials going in and, you know, there's different components in this continuous process chain. And so you may not know necessarily which one is the bottleneck per se. So you don't really know what the theoretical max is, I guess, is what is what they're saying. So they're saying performances act. So so really it's sort of actual hourly rate divided by average hourly rate over time. They didn't specify what that time is. So I guess that's a parameter you could probably like tweak. But like, let's just, I mean, I guess it makes sense. You're, so it's basically saying in general, if we produce, you know, a hundred barrels per hour of oil, and right now we're producing 90, then it's saying, hey, you, you have a 90% performance. It doesn't matter, I guess, that at one point in the past, maybe for one point in time, we produced 120 because that may not be repeatable all the time. Maybe that was some you know, variation in, in this continuous process that caused it to be higher than normal. But but again, it's not like a it's not like a manufacturing line where it's like rated at, hey, no, this you run it at X speed, it's a thousand bottles per minute, you know, very uh quantifiable. The continuous process, they're saying, hey, you know, performance is actual hourly rate divided by average hourly rate over time. I guess that makes sense. You know, I would I would want to I would I personally I would ask Walker and feel more comfortable asking Walker if if he also agreed with that. Cause this is one of those things about OEEs, like everyone calculates it differently. So yeah. Oh, and then quality is, you know, good units over total units. So, you know, if the units are volume, right. Quality is just good units over total units. Same thing. It's like good parts over total parts. So it really doesn't, it doesn't really change the change. The thing that really changes is the cycle time, you know? And so for continuous processes, the cycle time goes to zero. That's why it's volume over time, right? It's like the derivative. And then for batch processes, you know, you have a cycle time that's like, you know, eight hours or however long that batch takes. Um, and then that batch is aiming for a certain yield, right? Um, see, for batch processing... For batch processing, performance was performance is measured as total product quantity divided by the theoretical production rate times operating time. Yeah. So, you know, if this machine could theoretically make, you know, a thousand loaves of bread in a four hour batch, then, you know, it's total product quantity divided by 
So if it takes a little bit longer to, to produce or, you know, yeah. So if yield, if yield is reduced, then that affects your quality number. But if the theoretic, but if, the, you know, if the total product quantity to produce over time, over your operating time is longer then your performance goes down. That's actually, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I guess if a batch always takes the same amount of time, no matter, no matter what, you know, as soon as you hit start, then it, it always takes four hours then theoretically your performance is always going to be hundred percent. Right. You know, but if it like, let's say it takes longer to heat up or, you know, and then it accidentally takes four, it actually takes four hours and 30 minutes this time. And it was running the whole time. So it wasn't because of an available availability issue it was because it just literally took longer to produce this batch. Then that would affect your, um, <clears throat> your performance. The thing is you really just got to write these things down. Like you got to map it out, write it down, write out all the units and really just start to make sense of it because otherwise, you know, you just, you can get, you can get sideways and lost pretty quickly. Um, but no, it's a really good question. There was a lot of, uh, I want to read a couple comments that came in on the discord, like about this topic. So, <clears throat> and edge, <clears throat> which no, 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 it's a weird conversation for edge, but <laughs> in any case, Paul Vitor said, I have a question from a continuous process plant point of view. How would edge driven be applied to remote IOs that use either Profinet or Ethernet IP? Should they be remote IO in an MQTT publisher? Or would that be the job of the main CLP they are connected to? Imagine this in Greenfield Project. Thank you. So I would ask Paul. <clears throat> so the remote IOs that use Profinet or Ethernet IP what hardware exists on that edge? Is it just sensor data, right? Or do you have an edge device that you could access that could do edge computing? Because obviously if you can do edge computing there, then do the, you know, do your edge calculations as close to the edge as possible, then publish it to a unified namespace. So should they be a remote IO and MQTT publisher or would that be the job? <clears throat> yeah the main clp or would that be, should they use a remote ion mqt yeah so if you wanted to do <clears throat> mqt publishing then you could you know you could do publishing at the clp right so connect the remote io over over profinet or ethernet ip and then publish from the from the clp but um yeah you know it, it just depends on how would edge driven be applied yeah like as close to the edge as possible, but not so far that it's unnecessary. So like, you know, if you have, we say this all the time, like if you have a plant, you know, facility that's all hardwired and you have like an ignition SCADA or broker there or, gate, or gateway, screw it, connect to everything via OPC UA, you know, pull, pull a response because you're on a network. So it's going to be fast. Then use your ignition gateway at that plant layer as your edge device and publish into a, into a higher level namespace for cloud analytics or for enterprise level data, you know, collection, but you don't need to go edge, you know, you don't need to go MQTT all the way to the edge, like just for no reason, you know, you do what makes sense. This is where your architect comes in. Um, Jeff Newman or Jeff Noonan uh, said, and Jeff Noonan's like a genius. Uh, <laughs> it is important to differentiate between an MES system and an analytical system that calculates OBE. This is a very good point. 
Some people call these systems mom for manufacturing operations management. So what Jeff's saying is, and, and he, make, he makes a good point. I didn't, I, I did not build it. The, the use case we'll talk about here in 10 minutes or so was an analytical OE, uh, analytical system that calculates OE. It was the infrastructure with unified namespace with a microservice that calculates OE. It wasn't a full MES system because a full MES system includes, you know, all of the definitions. It's really, it's really like the object model for your whole manufacturing execution system. There were elements of, of MES that I had incorporated that I had to incorporate into the, into the backend or the master data model, but it didn't even scratch the surface on, you know, uh, what MES is truly scope is capable of. So, but, um, the E and MES is a crucial part and an MES manages execution, which means organizing the materials, people, equipment, and time to get things done. See, um, I had, I had an organization of the equipment, but you know, my OE system didn't have, or, you know, my MES system, which wasn't an MES system, didn't have definition of all the people, or I think it had operators log in, but it wasn't part of that whole object model. And it definitely wasn't wrapped in, you know, GraphQL and, um, you know, S95. And so, um, continuous process. So then Jeff says continuous processes like mining, oil and gas, cement, water, wastewater, and others have less need for execution in a product production sense and typically have other application that manage the execution of other tasks like maintenance and quality. That's an interesting point. You're right. You know, there really is, you know, a continuous process is really, I, I said this earlier, I was like a continuous process is a batch process where you only ever have one batch and there is no end time. <laughs> and the, the start time was, you know, when you started the plant or, um, so yeah. So, you know, there's no execution there. It's not really, there's, there's not these batches or there's not these discrete production runs that need to get executed, but there is still, you know, OEE, right. Of a continuous process. Right. Um, and that would be a good one. What is the OEE of this, uh, uh, water treatment plant, right? Hey, that's, that's one I've always thought of, like, you know, I've, I've known to calculate efficiency on motors and water pumps and stuff, but one thing I've never done, but would, would be interesting now is like calculating what is the overall equipment effectiveness of this water treatment plant? You know, it usually produces 1.5 million gallons per day of purified water, but you know, today it's only producing a million. So, you know, we got 70% performance, right? Like that'd be pretty cool, right? What is the availability? What is the downtime reasons of this uh, treatment plant? Right. So there's still uh, OE type. Well, there's still MES functions, but not not as much on the execution layer. Good, good point, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for chiming in. I, I love how many smart people we have in the discord. It's freaking awesome. Uh, TC said, this is a good question. It seems like a hierarchical data model might work well for a continuous process, but night but might not be the correct choice for a discrete process. From what I understand, the unified namespace UNS only contains the current state of the environment and is not a persistent store. Uh, that's not true. Uh, you can have it retain. You can have you can have it retain what the most recent value was. So it's persistent in that sense, right? You can have it retain the value for new subscribers that they'll get the most recent value. Um, it's not a historical store, but it is persistent. So I'm not sure if there's a misunderstanding there, but 
She said, from what I understand, the unified namespace only contains the current state of the environment and is not a persistent store. The persistent storage of the data has to be accomplished by some other means. I believe it was mentioned in this community that Tesla uses a UNS architecture. It would be interesting to know what data model Tesla uses for their UNS and what data model they use to persist their production data. I know Tesla is a huge uh, user of Ignition. And I know that the Ignition historian module is not to be taken seriously as a historian. So, you know, they're obviously using multiple technologies, right? It's not just which platform are they using, it's which technology are they using. They're using a technology-driven approach to building solutions. You know, Elon Musk is all about, hey, you know, Tesla is just a cybernetic collective of machines and people and equipment and process, you know. So imagine a body that didn't have a central nervous system, right? Why would you not want your left hand connected to your brain and also connected to your right hand to be able to coordinate things? Yet we try to manufacture 80 plants around the world where none of the plants talk to each other, right? Yet a company, all it really is, is just a cybernetic collective, an organism of, you know, machines, people, right? It is an, it's, it's its own entity. And so unified namespace is just a, a methodology it's a set of rules it's a philosophy that you would use to solve that problem that is being a digital company right having a digital strategy um yeah so you know which data model tesla uses is you know it just depends right where where are we talking are we talking about their you know, the consumer facing application with their on, on the edge on the cars? Are we talking about in their manufacturing environment? Are we talking about their research and development? Right. You know, where where in the in the, in their namespace are you talking about? It depends. We'll we'll change the we'll change the answer to specifically what solution they're using. Um, you know, are they using influx DB and a high bite? Are they using, you know, canary and an ignition historian? Um, you know, there may be cases where they're not using ignition because you know, maybe there's there's use cases where they need something that Ignition can't do, right? So there's trade-offs there. We talk about other platforms like, you know, <laughs> Tatsoft and, and uh, Factory Studio or Frameworks all the time. Boom, technology-driven, right? There may be a specific use case for that. Um, Ranker Shaw, who works with Litmus, said, uh, I agree that OEE is going to be difficult more difficult for continuous process and may even be impossible for certain applications. To your point, the biggest hurdle is going to be getting everyone to agree on how to measure it. Yeah. I think this issue actually gets easier for more regulated industries. That's a good point. Yeah. One application I have been looking at for would be running OE calculations on purified water skids, specifically for the pharma industry. Oh, great, great application, Ryan. Kershaw. Yeah, totally possible. I hope, I hope something in this conversation helped or that, that resource that I linked and yeah, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer OE could be calculated for anything and you can go even as, as abstract as what is the OEE of my video editor, right? Or what is the OEE of my programming staff? The question is, how do you, how do you calculate it? Right. Is it lines of code, right? Is it number of tasks they were given at the beginning of a day versus number of tasks they completed at the end of the day? Like, you know, how is that measured? 
But once you define out how it's measured, the calculation is pretty easy, right? The hard part is defining how it's measured. So, and, and getting, uh, you know, real time measurements of that measure versus, Hey, I worked eight hours, <laughs> you know, like, you know, actually tracking, you know, when, when someone's being productive versus when they're not being productive or, you know, what is the schedule, right? What is, what is the schedule, right? So once you answer those questions and you can calculate OE, you get persistence with QS. Um, yes. Yes. I'm not sure which one though. It's like QS one or two, but often that's just defined like in the software. So you just say what you want it to do and then it'll put in that message into the payload. So usually don't have, you can usually take that part for granted. Um, but it's good to know. That was the last screenshot of the questions that, that Cheryl had gathered in the discord. Again, thank you for the participation in the discord. Let's get into the use case because we got about you know 10 more minutes, so then we'll wrap it up. All right, UNS use case number three. Digital OEE for high value, long lead time CNC process. So um, this is a big aerospace manufacturer. They're really like a fully vertically integrated company all the way from like mining the materials to producing steel all the way to value add engineering engineered products right like fasteners or rings or you know things for aerospace other industries too but primarily this was a really big aerospace you know defense type of supplier Ma massive organization um so the part of the and, and they actually split that business into two so they had like really like uh their a business doing all their mining and their b business doing all their engineered value added uh you know, CNCing and rings and fasteners and straps and all that kind of stuff. So massive, massive, massive organization. Uh, for some reason, you know, they they really wanted to go all Siemens. Like they really just had a thing about Siemens. And and the company I was, the integrator I was working for was literally doing like a dozen, a dozen different projects with this one organization at one time. And knowing, knowing what I know now with, you know, uh, the approach that I would take, uh, really trying to transform this organization in industry 4.0 company would, would really be to start with the digital strategy. Hey, let's not just go to Siemens to digitally transform us. Literally, that was their strategy. It was like, let's just use everything Siemens, like all the way down to the IPC to Somatic IT, which was like their MES system, which honestly, Somatic IT is like something that Siemens bought. And I'm, I did not hear great things about, about that initiative. But the initiative that I was working on so really, yeah, so we should have started with the DTMA, done a digital transformation maturity assessment, started with their digital strategy, had a more cohesive approach to actually transforming the whole business rather than doing a dozen, a dozen, you know, individual projects that are standalone at one time. But, you know, if you work for an industry 3.0 company, that's their bread and butter. <laughs> that's, that's what they know. They don't know any better. So, um, but anyways, you know, this, this company was all like a semen shop and, and it was because their, one of their directors had like this relationship with i think he was german and also used to be the the cto of siemens or something like that there was definitely someone's house got built by siemens Mul multiple houses probably got built by siemens in this in this instance here but in any case um the application that i was working on was technology driven right within within this one plant which was actually like a rogue plant that they had bought it's actually like in rancho cucamonga and it was like really close to me so the, the commute was nice uh, so anyways, I did, um, 
WinCCOA technology-driven, you know, digital MES for a CNC process. They had they had dozens of CNC machines from all different sizes, but this pilot encompassed two of their mega. I wanted to call them giga CNCs, but really, uh, that would be giving them too much credit. But they really were mega-sized CNCs. I mean, they, there was two in this whole this big building. Literally had two of them, probably like fifty feet across, and they were used for uh, CNCing twelve foot, ten to twelve foot rings. So like big chunk of a ring that was forged into this shape. Then they CNC'd it to a specific specification that was used for aerospace. Really, these were like the rings that would go around the jet engines, like the, the housing. <laughs> so it was like this, you know, 12 foot diameter, you know, four or five foot tall, you know, ring that had all these unique um, features to it. Right. So they would get, you know, this was like a hundred thousand dollar ring right? or maybe even more. I don't know. But, you know, this thing alone, the titanium was expensive. So, you know, and, and the CNC process would take weeks to finish. Like we're talking, you know, multiple days would go by and they're, you know, they're, they're just barely making progress on this ring and then they're doing the inside and then the outside and then they're cutting it again. Sometimes they have to re rework, like they, they do one cut and it didn't go well. So they have to go back and rework it. So we're like, Hey, when they go back and rework it, we're going to make that a ding to quality. Right. Cause so that's, that was the question we, we were faced with was how do we take this multi long week? Really the cycle time was like, Hey, you know, this should take two to three weeks. So one, that's not very precise. And two, how do we measure where they're at in, in that two to three week process? So the strategy we came up with was, you know, let's use this Siemens when CCOA software, let's have an edge panel PC at each of these, um, you know, the two mega CNCs and two of their, there were larger, more CK type mach machines, but they were used to manufacture like rings in the size of like four to five feet, uh, you know, housings and different things like that. So, so those were like, they're still large CNCs, but not like super large. So, so we were doing, you know, two different variants of CNCs to kind of prove that this, this model would work, whether or not it was this larger CNC or this other CNC that also took, you know, multiple days to produce a part. So we, so we, we went with that strategy. The edge PC had Siemens, uh, WinCCOA. Uh, it was doing, it had a Kepware OPC server with MT connect to connect to the Finuc controllers. The Finuc controller would tell us where they were at. Uh, really they had like this end number, this block number. So the CNC had a program and the program would know, we would know what part the operator was working on. I think the part, the operator would tell us what job number they were working on. So we would know what part they were working on. So we knew they had this simulation software that would simulate this program, the CNC program and, and, and define, Hey, of these 60 operations of these 100 operations N101, N102, N103, N201, N202, N203, N201, N203, 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 like literally that's kind of like what the block numbers were. Their simulation software gave us this output that was like, Hey, this block should take five minutes. This block should take 10 minutes. So we broke down this one large part that took weeks into hundreds of small units of production that were the tasks that made up this large CNC operation. So that's how we decided what the production units were, where they would, they would be units of good production or units of good CNC operations. So, you know, let's say they operated going in the morning and, you know, today he's supposed to do five blocks because this block takes 55. I mean, some of these blocks would take like an hour, right? So, 
we knew that their performance would be a hundred percent if is if by the end of the day they got you know eight hours worth of produced blocks done in eight hours of runtime now if the availability went down you know the machine went down for other reasons we would take that out of the availability but from the performance perspective we were saying hey look for example, let's just say if this one CNC operation should have taken you eight hours or these 10 operations should have taken you eight hours, but it really took you nine hours, that's where we would we would dock them on the performance. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that's availability it was pretty simple. We, we would use the, the we would run the machine state logic on, on that um, on that edge PC on that using a WinCCOA. But then once we would do all that, we'd do the real-time OE calculation, and then we would transmit those tags to a central uh, WinCCOA server. Um, it wasn't using MQTT. It was using, I think, HTTP. It was using the built-in distributed tag functionality that WinCCOA gives you. So, you know, so it was really building a unified namespace because all the different machines, and that was the idea, is they could just add a new edge PC, add a new machine, and it would pop into... You know, same application, just parameterized. It would pop into the central PC, but the central server, you know, we would do dashboarding. They do all the scheduling. Um, you know, it did all the backend code, which is where we wrote the API for the SQL database. Uh, so the edge PCs wouldn't really hit the database directly. They would hit the API or, you know, the tag, the, the, the state change would just go across and then the central server would do all the uh, processing of, um, you know, SQL, SQL stuff. So, um, yeah, but really it was microservices and OEE engine uh, with full API, uh, with stored procedures, built-in WinCCOA, full technology-driven unified namespace approach. Um, and that's how we solved OEE for that particular customer, right? You know, it, it took a lot of coordination, right? We had to get accurate. We had to get some of the challenges we're getting the accurate estimates of how long these parts would actually take. Some of them were actually pretty scary accurate. Like they're saying, hey, it should take you five minutes. It took them like four minutes and 59 seconds like it's like wow damn that simulation was pretty accurate but uh some of the other problems were um you know when the machine stops why did it stop because often they would just open the door so we would know hey the machine stopped because the door opened but why did they open the door oftentimes it was like for chip cleaning there's all these metal chips that would sort of get stuck so the operator would have to open it up and clean it out so it wouldn't or maybe it's busted busted insert you know i need to change the the insert you know the the tool or the bit i guess so uh sometimes we could tell when that happened sometimes we'd have to rely on the operator to let us know but the good news was we just simply wrote a script that when the machine would stop it would automatically open a pop-up that gave them a list of or really just a, a an array of buttons that they just pressed whatever button was that reason of why that why it stopped and then there was actually an interlock. So like, and I was really against doing this because I didn't want the operators to like hate me, but they, they, we, we had it set up where there was an interlock with a relay and they didn't interlock it. But in theory, the, it was triggering a relay to prevent them from restarting the machine until they had entered in that most recent downtime event reason. Um, again, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't there when, when, when that was implemented, but it was on their roadmap. So you know, again, you know, it's a cultural thing, right? That's where the DTMA would come in, right? Who, who are your allies of your initiative? Who are your cavemen, right? You know, where does it make most sense to deploy this PLC, right? And that's why I was like, this is ridiculous. Cause like I'm over here in this plant building this, you know, really kind of a custom coded MES, 
which took a lot of time and a lot of development, but would make sense if you scaled that out across other plants. But it's like in this other plant, they're doing uh, somatic IT. And, you know, it's like, guys, what's your digital strategy? <laughs> right. What technology is it based on? Um, that was a question that came up and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. We'll end it on this. Someone asked, you know, what are the questions in the last podcast? Jay asked, um, four questions you should ask your vendors to see if they meet your minimum technical requirements. Do you know what he is referring to? And I said, yes, I, I do know what I'm, I was referring to. And I shared the screenshot to, it's an excerpt from our digital mastermind notebook, but, uh, four questions you should ask the vendor before purchasing a new piece of equipment, hardware, or software. Number one, what data will this generate? Two, how will this data be formatted and organized? Number three, how will this data, how will the data generated be accessed by accessed by external consumers? Number four, does this smart thing insert or support insert IoT protocol and use enter IoT protocol standard? Does it support MQTT and Spark Plug B, right? Or whatever your technology uh, stack is built on. And then Rick added a good one, number five. Do I need to pay any extra fees or licenses to unlock this data? So that was a good one. But anyways, that's, that's um, you know, questions that I would ask. And um, that was questions that were not asked with this client um, that should have been asked. And then they would have had a cohesive digital strategy and not been wasting, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, in development time and effort across many different initiatives that had no no and no really no end goal in mind right anyways uh any questions before i dip jeff thank you for joining in preparation for the mastermind accelerator session i connected with dr tony burns funny enough dr tony burns actually i don't even know if i'm allowed to say this but uh they just recently joined on uh, our our iot university i noticed i'm like oh hey hey look we know this guy <laughs> that's that name looks familiar but maybe he joined the discord server or something like that or or, um, you know, mini course would be one of the two main ways that you would get on that list. But anyways, um, thanks, Jeff. We should invite him on. We should invite him on the podcast because, you know, Walker did speak very highly of him. You know, literally SPS, SPC expert, right? Yeah, quality. He's just joined. The, oh, yeah, he just joined the 4.0 Solutions Discord server. Duh. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was saying. Anyways, cool. That's awesome news. Thank you, Alan, for joining. Um, it makes sense you use somatic uh, WinCCO open architecture since they wanted to be exclusive to Siemens. Yeah, and 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 when and we always say WinCCOA is a great platform, but you know Ignition is a great platform, Tatsoft Frameworks is a great platform, but it's it's no excuse for a lack of a digital strategy, right? Like you know we don't do projects unless you have a digital strategy and you have a sound architecture, right? We just you know start go back to <laughs> go back to step one. Anyways, I think you'd be interested. Hey, if he is, Jeff, let me know. Um, awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining today. Remember to subscribe to the 4.0 Solutions podcast on your favorite podcast player. If you like our podcast, give it a review on iTunes. We always aim for five stars. Um, that would be awesome. Help reach, help, you know, like this video on YouTube. Subscribe to our podcast. Uh, subscribe to our channel. Join the Industry 4.0 Discord server. Um, and yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Or see, or see you guys tomorrow on the Mastermind Accelerator call. Oh, and also last announcement, this Friday's, originally we had a Mastermind scheduled for this Friday. It is now moved to next Friday because of the holidays this this week. So um, yeah, that announcement went out. You should have got an email, but I just wanted to make a note of it now. So thanks guys. See you guys.